This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Here's the scenario. You've been injured in a serious accident. The doctor says your recovery could take months, maybe even years, yet your insurance company is denying your claim every step of the way. If something like this happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. We have offices in Toronto, London, Peterborough, and now Kitchener-Waterloo. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. You know what I want. I want to talk to Sam. Okay, okay, okay. That, sheesh, that was a tough one. You hate to lose games in a variety of ways. I said this in the last podcast, and it is perhaps the worst indicator of what the Raptors might be as a team this year. I still think they're a top six team in the East. I'm not super worried about that or anything. But if a team figures out a bunch of different ways to lose, and the Raptors have now lost in three different fashions in three different games, and of those three games, at one point, each of them looked winnable particularly the last two, towards the end of the game, they just got completely out-hammered at the rim because the Raptors outside of Kyle Lowry can't seem to apply any rim pressure to the opposing team. Now, if it was just the 76ers, I could chalk it up to say Joel Embiid awaits at the rim. He is world-ending there. Kawhi Leonard even had trouble in a playoff series taking it to the rim against Joel Embiid. However, comma... It is not just Joel Embiid. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge and co. did the same thing in San Antonio. So there's a lot to dislike. There's some things to like from this game, and I'm not upset at any one player in particular. I mean, Pascal, I thought, had a really, really great first half. His second half was abysmal. I think that's fair to say, as was Fred's. The over-reliance on Kyle Lowry is very troubling. I think everybody, I mean, I tweeted this out before the season even started that clearly the Raptors are going to be over-reliant on Lowry. But to the current degree that they are, where if he's on the court, they win minutes. If he's off the court, they get slaughtered. It's tough to watch a team have to oscillate between those two things. There is currently no middle ground. And the lack of middle ground means that they keep losing games because they just can't seem to find any amount of polish from any player to guide them through these Lowry-less minutes. It's an absolute shame. Off the start of the game, though, a lot of encouraging stuff. The Raptors starting lineup with Lowry looking very good. At the very least, in this game, the Raptors' defense was much, much better. Did they foul Joel Embiid too often? Yes. Did they bail him out of some possessions? Yes. 
Did they have a pretty good handle on Ben Simmons in this game? Yes. Did Tobias Harris shake loose as well? Yes. And what has been a staple of the Raptors' defense, encouraging mediocre shooters to take more three-pointers and having good contests on them is what the Raptors' defense likes to do, especially from the corners. We saw a lot of that, and it actually worked in this game. So if you're looking for the defense to come around, I think this was a step towards that. Unfortunately, as I talked about at the top of the podcast, the lack of rim pressure makes the Raptors very over-reliant on the three-pointer, and if they have a drought, then they really have a drought. Like, they cannot score at all. And they, believe it or not, players are affected by crunch time, clutch time, that kind of stuff. The onus is on players to make jumpers at the end of a game. And it's tougher to make jumpers with five minutes left in the fourth quarter in a close game than it is to make with six minutes left in the second quarter. That's just, you know, the mentality aspect or a psychological mental aspect of the game dictates that this is how it turns out. And the Raptors, if they're going to be completely jump shot dependent for every aspect of the game, they will be subject to these insane highs and lows. The first quarter was awesome. It was a high for sure. They were able to create wide open looks for Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry. I thought it was really fun to see. OG Ananobi was sterling in this game. He obviously was not going to be the guy to close this game out. So he was quiet down the stretch. But for the parts of the game where he had the ball, and especially in the early part of it, he was fantastic. And I loved his game. There will be a video I'll have out tonight breaking down what made him successful. He was he was awesome. So first quarter, they're breaking down the 76ers defense off the dribble, popping out to shooters, lots of motion in the offense, and defensively very active as well mitigating a lot of the strengths that the 76ers like. Bain's doing a pretty good job in isolation against Embiid, but they're mixing in a lot of doubles, a lot of fronting, that kind of stuff with Embiid as well. Keeping him on his toes, he's not a very dynamic passer as a big man. He's turnover prone, and they were able to do that. So that was nice. It was a good start to the game. The second quarter, though, was horrific. I mean... (laughs) They ended the first quarter with Len minutes, and Len did a really nice job of guarding the rim at the end of the first quarter. The second quarter was basically just the Raptors trying to survive without Kyle Lowry and this hellacious, bonkers type of basketball breaks out. Very up and down, turnover heavy, missed shots. And when you play loose like that, the Raptors don't have the talent to just end up, they don't have the size of the talent that the 76ers have, that they just end up on the right side of loose balls because of size. And Alex Len is not as good at locating loose ball and getting a putback as Joel Embiid is. And if Alex Len gets hacked on the way up, he probably won't get a foul call if there's a bunch of bodies in the paint. Whereas Joel Embiid, as we saw, shot a ton of free throws. If the game's going to get messy, Embiid, a superstar is going to find his way to the line. He's going to buoy the 76ers offense when they're not able to make jumpers. The second quarter was a practice in that ideology. It was that they, I mean, after being up 28-17 after one, they were up by eight going into halftime, but they were very close to going into halftime tied at 48-48. Lowry comes in, hits a triple, Fred finds Siakam for a triple, and then Lowry throws a touchdown pass to Fred for a layup, and they went into halftime with an eight-point lead. But the second quarter, as far as process, 
was mostly negative with what they were bringing to the court. Not great to see uh, at all. In the second half, you start with Kyle Lowry, who is fantastic at getting to the line. And as I said earlier, the only guy providing rim pressure, he gets pick and roll opportunities. He gets going downhill. He's able to draw fouls, slow the game down, and provide offense for the Raptors. On the other end of the floor, you have Seth Curry, a little bit of regression to the mean in that area. He's hitting some jumpers after missing some open ones in the first half. The 76ers are finding themselves a little bit more, especially their shooters. The pressure is still being applied to Simmons and Embiid, particularly by the Raptors defense. It still looks good. The process defensively was a success in this game. It was the offense down the stretch that failed them. Third quarter, still playing nice. Len is getting early minutes in the second half. He's standing up Joel Embiid on occasion. He made an incredible, honestly, pass on the short roll, finding OG in the corner. And this is where you're looking at the the high ceiling version of the Raptors and saying, okay, this team embodies the 2014 beautiful game Spurs. They whip the ball around the perimeter. They slice and dice going downhill and they find the open man. And that ends abruptly when Lowry is off the floor. And the major problem, the reason why that's happening, at least my diagnosis of it, is that Pascal Siakam is too often becoming a jump shooter. And yes, the caveats remain. This is Joel Embiid loading up. The 76ers wanted him to shoot jumpers in this game. And he did a decent job from downtown letting it fly. In the mid-range, got a little bit greedy, got a little bit scared of going to the rim, couldn't get to the foul line. That's a shame for Pascal. He has to be able to get to the foul line. And him not being able to do that is really big trouble for the Raptors. And since he's mostly becoming a shooter in these situations, Fred Van Vliet is on ball. And Fred Van Vliet on ball is a contentious topic for Raptors fan base and for writers because he is used on ball a lot. Even when Kyle Lowry's on the floor, although not as much this year as it was last year, it's tough to watch because he is not good at creating rim runs or baskets at the cup for his teammates. He turns everybody into a three-point shooter, and that isn't good because that means the Raptors are subject to really, really high-variance styles of offense when he is the lead ball handler because he can only create to above the break or to the corners. It's really good as a complementary style of play. It's really good that he's an excellent relocator and catch-and-shoot operator when he's playing next to Kyle Lowry. This is also why a lot of people are advocating for Malachi Flynn to come in and run the offense for at least a short amount of time to see what can happen there, to see the Raptors save some semblance of structure in their offense. I'm a fan of that. I believe that Malachi Flynn should be playing. I, I think that it is a mistake on Nurse's behalf when he doesn't put Malachi Flynn in the game. I think, I'm not sure if that swings every game or any game. I just think that that's something the Raptors should be working towards, and it's important for him to get reps. He's a first-round draft pick, albeit at the end of the first round, but the Raptors have one of the best scouting networks and teams in the league. They've always been very high on the people they bring in through the draft or undrafted free agency. So let the guy play. I, I don't understand the hesitation to bring Malachi Flynn off the bench. He's not going to be a defensive liability, or at least there is no 
record to indicate that he will be. He was great in every single minute of preseason, and he was the defensive player of the year in his conference in college. So we'll see. Uh, Developing storyline for the season, obviously. This happens with a lot of other fan bases. The Raptors, you know, their last first-round pick before this, OG Ananobi, was a starter right away. And I think, I'm not advocating for Malachi Flynn to be a starter, of course, just that he clearly should have access to more opportunities and the Raptors might benefit from it. Okay, so the end of the third quarter, not great. It's without Lowry and the 76ers are just rumbling to the bucket. Whether it's Harris being, you know, sneaky, getting a putback, nice little box out on the weak side, getting after the ball, and Bede, you know, muscling his way to the free throw line or just hounding the Raptors on their own defensive glass, cleaning stuff up. They're able to get those, the garbage man buckets. And that's the thing. No matter what the Raptors do, as far as their initial scheme against Joel Embiid, in transition, in pseudo transition, in broken plays, he's a superstar who finds the ball and forces his way to the line or figures out how to put the ball in the basket. That is something that Pascal Siakam is not doing for the Raptors. And that is something that the Raptors are having trouble stopping other players from doing. If you want to go back to the LaMarcus Aldridge bucket at the end of the Spurs game, that could be another example of it. There's some things they clearly need to figure out. But if they weren't as subject to these horrible offensive droughts, this stuff wouldn't be as big of a problem. As I said, in this game, I don't think that the defense is what failed them. I think it was offensively that they came up short. And if anybody were pointing fingers, not at a player, but just at identifying the problem in the room, I think it would be their ability to operate, finish, and create on offense, particularly the rim pressure, which I've, geez, I hope you bear with me. I've said it quite a few times in this podcast. And believe it or not, the start of the fourth quarter was actually extremely positive for the Raptors because guess who was in? Kyle Lowry. And last year, believe it or not, Pascal Siakam was an extremely positive player for the Raptors, and they were reliant on his minutes, especially pre-bubble. And I was expecting him to really help close this thing out. He got rest before the final the final stretch of this game. He was on the bench until roughly six minutes. Kyle Lowry commandeering the offense, doing great things. They find room for a pin down from Matt Thomas. He cashes a triple. Kyle Lowry pulls up for a triple. And it's it's nice to see Len playing good defense on Embiid. It looks like they're staving off what might be opportunity for a 76ers run. They have Pascal on the bench. He'll be fresh for the closing for closing time. And everything seems to be going well. Stanley Johnson is, his rotations on defense were really crisp. He has the verticality rule uh, behind him when he's making these stands at the rim that are impressive. And he's active. Steals, of course, he's still not great on offense. There's an above average pass every once in a while. He did hit a three in this game. But particularly in the fourth, it was nice to see a, a good defensive stretch from him. That's what was happening. A lot of good things. I mean, Stanley even dunked off of a missed free throw. Came in from beyond the arc, like a, a man on fire. It was cool to see. I was a, uh, I was a big fan of it. And Embiid and Co. just keep plugging away. And it's that rim pressure. And there's a reason why Seth Curry at the end of the game 
hit a wide open three is because the Raptors really started digging in and locking down into the paint because Embiid was chipping away at the integrity of their interior defense for every minute he was on the court in this game. He was very tough to contain. Milton had a great left-handed finish over Boucher when Boucher was getting the short amount of minutes that he had. Harris kind of snaked in, hit a midi. Danny Green missed a three-pointer, but then hit a three-pointer. And then you look up and you say, holy smokes, the Raptors are down. Aaron Baines, it seems like, makes a heave and was 0.1 seconds literally away from having it count. Lowry forces his way to the line, ties up the game, 89-89. But this is where everything kind of locks down for the Raptors. Horrible finish, Pascal Siakam. When he's trying to get downhill, he's getting pushed off his line. He's losing the ball out of bounds. He's not able to create anything from a standstill. And asking him to create from a standstill against Ben Simmons with Joel Embiid and help, is that tough? Yes. Was he getting the ball rested and supposed to deliver? Yes. If you want to critique him on that, as I am, I don't blame you. It's okay to expect Siakam to be better down the stretch of these games. You can just think back to last year. He had a spin into the middle of the lane, bounced off of Embiid and hit an end one down the stretch of a game against the 76ers last year and then had that photo finish dunk as he beat the buzzer. And it was like the pinnacle of Siakam last year. It was like, holy smokes, he just closed out the 76ers. It was nothing like that this year. He's over-reliant on the jumper. He cannot get to the bucket. It's disappointing. Does that mean he won't be able to do that in the future? Of course not. He can progress and get back to a certain standard, of course. And I believe he will. In this game, though, not good. Very poor finish from him. And as I said, then Curry hits a big triple. And it's that the 76ers were able to get to the free throw line to maintain offense when they weren't hitting shots. The Raptors just couldn't do that. And then at the end of this game, the Curry three sticks out. But the the 76ers were just hitting free throws. And even though Lowry comes back and snakes into the lane on the fast break and finishes, there's just no other aspect of the offense that's working for the Raptors. And they go down five after the Curry three, and then it's free throws. The Raptors cannot create, they can't finish, they can't score, and they lose this one. It's uh, wholly disappointing, a very disappointing game. Same as the Spurs, it was right there to grab, and uh, nothing became of it. Okay. Reggie Evans' award goes to OG Ananobi, not because he was fantastic on offense, but because I thought his help side defense was awesome. I thought that he was dangerous picking off passing lanes, and he was an overwhelming force defensively. I don't think that should be underrated. OG was awesome on offense, but his defensive contributions in this game were immense. I There's a reason he was plus five in this game, and plus five when... You know, guys like Pascal, Fred were minus 15, minus 14. Aaron Baines, minus 13. OG actually helped carry a lineup at the end of the first quarter. That's how good he was. He was awesome. And him being able to switch seamlessly at the end of shot clock situations onto Joel Embiid. And yes, he did bail him out at the end of the game on one possession. But typically, very strong extremely tough to score on and a big part of what made Ben Simmons have so much trouble scoring the ball was Simmons still important and like grabbed a bunch of rebounds and started the 76ers out on the break. Yes, but three for 11 from the field, 
is pretty great. I'm I'm happy with OG holding him to that, and OG deserves the lion's share of the credit for that type of performance. Okay, let's go to the quick reaction and see what the top quick reaction comment is. <laughs> oh boy, okay. And <laughs> it's from B Herbs, quote, I wish Fred was tradable now, end quote. Okay, so this is in reference to Fred recently signing a contract in the offseason, and there is a, uh, what would it be? It's like the NBA's version of an embargo. What I, He can't be traded until sometime in February, early February, I believe, because of his contract. I think this is also linked to James Harden. I don't blame any Raptors fan for wanting James Harden. I mean, I've been a huge James Harden supporter of his on-court behavior as far as pandemic activities uh, don't uh, support that whatsoever. But I've supported James Harden's on-court attempts at winning for a long time. I'm a staunch James Harden on-court defender. I think he is a world-ending presence. And had it not been for one of the greatest teams ever in the Warriors, he would have won a championship. And I consider that Rockets team with Chris Paul one of the best teams of the decade, even though they didn't win. I think James Harden is extremely good. And I assume this comment is in reference to Fred being included in James Harden trade. I could be wrong, or you could just be wanting to trade Fred at you know the drop of a hat to anywhere for anybody. I'm not super sure. But I, if I'm correct, that's what it's about. As far as should Fred be traded? Uh, no, I think that Nurse needs to rein him in more. I mean, if, if Fred is, if you can get James Harden, I think you'd do it, of course. But I'm I'm rambling. I hope that's uh, okay with you guys. But I'm rambling, and you trade Fred if you can get James Harden. I believe that is the intelligent basketball decision thing to do. That's a few months away, obviously, because of the stipulation that he cannot be traded until February. Really rambling. Thanks for tuning in for so long. But yes, so Fred, I... I just think he has to be reined in a little bit more by Nick Nurse. I think he's totally fine. I think that he is a very, very good player when utilized properly. And sometimes the Raptors get away from that. And I think that there needs to be a little bit more structure to his game. Sometimes he commandeers the offense. And I would like to see Siakam featured on ball as much, if not more, than Fred is. That's how I feel. I don't think Fred is a significantly better passer than Pascal. I've been happy with a lot of the decisions Pascal has made as a passer. So that's my piece on it. I don't want to trade Fred, though, unless James Harden is coming back. So that's a few months away, I think. Okay, uh, that's the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, whether you're getting into it in the morning or at night. I'm your host, Samson Folk. Have a blessed day and goodbye. <laughs>